Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello, today I'd like to welcome Itai Ifsan to the podcast. Itai is an associate professor teaching in the mindfulness-based transpersonal counseling program. He's also spoken at numerous TEDx events, so welcome. Hello, David. How are you doing today? I feel, I feel good. The, the, the semester has just ended. Mm, yes. And teaching was a, a wonderful experience, mm-hmm. and at the same time, it's... Um, all-consuming. It takes every bit of my energy and time. And now that the semester has ended, the space for adventures and projects and things that kind of yes. make my <laughs> make my heart kind of dance. Yeah. I love projects and special projects and yeah. just things to make the heart dance. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself, anything that I missed in my really short intro. And also... Maybe you can go into the journey. How did you get to Naropa? I know you have a fun story that you want to tell us. So I'm really excited to hear about that. Yeah. So I spent the last 20 years bringing together psychology and spirituality. For me, those are two incredibly beautiful disciplines. And each of them is offering us a gift. Yeah. I feel as if psychology is more of the kind of mind-oriented a discipline while spirituality is inviting us to move beyond the mind and beyond the definitions of a self. Mm. And what people usually do is they stick to one of those, they choose one of those. Okay. And I feel that by doing that, we narrow our experience of life. We narrow the fullest potential of what life could be for us. And then when we bring them together, when we do marry them, we get this incredible explosion of potentials. Mm, yeah. Right. That's, that's, <laughs> what I, that's what I love. If I'm thinking like, what do I do as in, uh, in, in a single sentence, then I would say, I marry psychology and spirituality so that I could invite myself and as many people as possible to live as fully as we can. I love that. Right. Awesome. Cool. And going back to kind of where it all started, I was always interested. I mean, looking back, always interested in psychology and spirituality. But Mm -hmm. when I was 20, I was traveling in China. Okay. And I was in, I think it was Sichuan province. And I was climbing this very, very high mountain. Mm. And by the time I've reached the top of that mountain, it was too late in the evening. And I've realized oh, there's just no way for me to go back down on time because yeah. it'll, it'll be really dark in, in within an hour. So I'm looking around and there's literally nothing but nature and a Buddhist monastery. <laughs> That's all there is at the top of that yeah. mountain. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I cannot tell you what I've eaten for breakfast today, but I can tell you how the wooden gate looked like oh, man. at that monastery. Yeah. 20 years ago, right? Wow. It was huge and beautiful and I'm knocking at that gate mm-hmm. and the monks open 
And I do not speak a single word in Mandarin and they don't speak any English either. Yeah. So using my hands and a smile, <laughs> I ask for a place to stay yeah. for the night, right? So they they were very kind. They were mm -hmm. super kind. They offered me this tiny room with, you know, with a little bed and literally that is it. So I go into bed, I go to sleep and around 4 a.m. I hear chanting mm. now back then i wasn't really sure like what is it what's going on and half asleep i'm kind of walking down the stairs and i find myself in the meditation hall and there were dozens of monks there chanting and i just joined them you know it just yeah. felt it just felt right yeah. so i joined them and then they were chanting and then they were doing some walking meditation and then there was some sitting breathing and i joined it all And to be honest, I don't know how much time the whole thing took, but I do yeah. know that when this session ended, I wasn't the same Itai who went into that session. I felt something, you know, sometimes we have those little junctions in life yeah. where you do, some, you do a certain session, you meet a certain person, you go through something, you have an accident, I don't know, something happens. Mm -hmm. And looking back, you realize this is a huge turning point. So that was mm. a huge turning point for me because I finished that session and I felt what I experience right now is something I want to befriend. Yeah. It's something I didn't even know is sitting within me. I might have read about it, uh -huh. right? Or yeah. talked about it. We, we all know the difference between, right? Talking about and experiencing, right? So yeah. I might have talked about it, but I've never met it the way I just met it. Yes. So I want to do anything mm. in my power to make sure that I uh, strengthen that relationship with this experience. It was something yeah. that went so far beyond what I thought of as Itai. And, you know, we talked about the fact that I teach at the Mindfulness-Based Transpersonal counseling program and that's the reason i love transpersonal psychology so much because yeah. it doesn't hold us back from everything that we are yep. it doesn't hold us back into only our mind or only our emotions or yeah. only our body or only our spirit it brings all of them together and that's what i felt back then so i asked the monks to stay and oh, cool. <laughs> i stayed there and i've spent this time reading and meditating and it was yeah it was incredible How long did you stay there? I stayed there for a couple of months. Okay, wow. Yeah, it was very powerful. And I feel it had very important impact on my relationship with the practice of meditation. Yes. Because one of the most important things I took from that monastery, from the teachings, from the interactions I had with the monks, was the quality of compassion mm. and kindness and joy yeah that was kind of radiating from everyone there mm -hmm. at that monastery that felt so meaningful to me it had a huge impact on my actual career because what happened was that i went back to the kind of western world and i said okay this is what i want to do right i want to yeah. i want to share you know when we <laughs> find something beautiful i think one of the almost instinctive needs is i want to share this yeah right so i went back to the western world i wrote my phd i uh, became a university professor and i was researching and teaching mindfulness this is like at the mm -hmm. heart of my work and i found something that and it, it took me years to to realize it but i found something that that really blew my mind 
something about our relationship with mindfulness in the West. So what I found was, maybe I'll, I'll start by saying that I, I used to go to a lot of, say, conferences or I run workshops or I run retreats. And people would come to me, different courses, different places, and they would say something like, you know, all this mindfulness stuff, this is all very interesting and it sounds, you know, like a very beneficial practice. But to be honest, they said, we don't experience a lot of uh, stress or a lot of anxiety or mm. any depression. Yeah. So we don't need mindfulness. What? But, right? <laughs> that, but what? Okay, now, <laughs> this what took years to kick in. At the beginning, yeah. I was like, okay, I get it, right? Mm -hmm. And with time, there was like this red light kind of turning on and off in my head saying, Itai, observe this. This is meaningful. Listen yeah. carefully. The message here is very important. And obviously the message they were sharing with me is that as long as they don't deal with any psychological discomfort, they don't need mindfulness. And if you think about it, this is the message we share with people in relation to mindfulness in the West. Yeah. Now, the message is that mindfulness is something we use to deal with our deficiencies. Mm -hmm. Something is wrong, we bring in mindfulness. Whether psychologically or physiologically, something isn't going right for us, we bring in mindfulness to kind of save the day. Yeah. Now, just to avoid any confusion, I think mindfulness for those things is wonderful. Yeah, right. So, you know, mindfulness is healing for our experience of kind of <laughs> stressful, anxiety-filled mind yeah. in the West. So this is beautiful. However, I feel this is such a limited way mm. of thinking about mindfulness, right? We're almost looking at like a remedy instead of a life practice. That's awesome. Yeah. I love your story too. It's so beautiful. I didn't realize you would stay up there a couple of months. I thought you were going to tell me like a couple of days or a week or no, something. You're no, just no, no. soaking it in. Yeah, I was. Just to kind of finalize that formal mm -hmm. point, what I took from the practice there at the monastery is that relationship between mindfulness and happiness mm -hmm. and mindfulness and hope and mindfulness yeah. and flow you know there's so many beautiful psychological yeah. concepts that mindfulness really works with and i just think that in order for us to have a healthy relationship with the research and practice of mindfulness we need to acknowledge the fact that it works with the full spectrum of human experiences and we can invite it into the full spectrum yeah. right yeah. yeah awesome so what's interesting you made me think about this was you want to marry psychology and spirituality together mm -hmm. and what i'm noticing is psychology is dealing with the mind mm -hmm. the actual like apparatus of yeah. and then spirituality is dealing with the heart and the soul so you have this like metaphysical thing that you can't necessarily touch True. you know and so it's like you want to marry these two together that's what i'm hearing it's yeah. like you want to bring the metaphysical meets the mind yeah and the, the teachings just come together and not it being a remedy, but almost it being a daily practice. So you have consistent remedies all the time. Yeah. Remedies for happiness, remedies yeah. to be in happiness all the time. Very true. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's a beautiful way to put it. And then, you know, I think about it as bringing earth and sky together, right? We, yeah. We want to <clears throat> touch both and be connected to both yeah. and be part of yeah. both. Yeah. I do a Chinese martial arts and they talk about heaven, earth, and person. Mm. And heaven and earth hang out in your dantian is where you're like your breath your chi is stored and so it's like how you're bringing those two elements together to like be the person in the middle experiencing it yeah so to transition into our topic right what did you want to talk about today i know you had like a nice little intro to that well i just felt that 
for me, one of the most interesting topics, because I, in addition, or holding hands with mindfulness, I'm also a positive psychologist. I'm positive psychologist. Positive Love psychologist. It. That's yes. how it's kind of referred <laughs> to. And, you know, we research all those areas that are usually neglected in psychology. Okay. Usually psychology is all about, and similarly to what I kind of said earlier, usually psychology is all about what is wrong with us and how can we fix it, uh -huh. which is important to know, but almost no one's asking what is right with us and how can we have more of that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just interesting to notice, for example, that passion wasn't researched at all in psychology up to the point where positive psychology came about, right? This Interesting. Is, it's but, like, that's not broken, so we're not going to fix yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's like, <laughs> and, and if you think about it, at least for me, passion is one of the most beautiful and important yeah. human characteristics, isn't it? Yeah. Like, so I think we really need to know more about mm. when are we passionate? Me too. What's the impact of being passionate, yeah. right? How does it transform your life, right? Up until the point positive psychology came about it at the 1998, the only research around passion we had was in relationship with romantic relationships, right? So sex and such. Uh -huh. That's what passion was researched. Yeah. But all this beautiful piece around do I feel passion in love? How does it impact me? What choices do I make to feel more passion? Just an example, right? So there are so many similar areas. Mm -hmm. um, courage, for example. Yeah. yeah. So many beautiful things <laughs> we need to know more about that we study within positive psychology. So a piece I thought you and I could discuss today is meaning in life. Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> That's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> so where where do you think meaning the meaning of life comes from or the unique meaning of life? Because everyone's meaning is obviously going to be different. Yeah. But where does meaning come from? Where do you think it stems from? Do you think it comes from like your heart, your mind, your soul, from external things coming at you? Yeah. yeah. Or all of the above? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I'd like to start by differentiating the meaning of life okay. and one's personal meaning in life. So what we're going to talk about today is not the meaning of life. I don't know what's the meaning of life, right? I don't know. Maybe someone, maybe someone <laughs> does. And if they do, please, you don't know please call me. No, I don't <laughs> yet. This is just giving another 520 years and it's done. But I like us to talk <laughs> about personal meaning. So when we transform the question from an objective open one about kind of the entire uh, humanity into one that is personal, yeah. that's what we're going to talk about. Like what is my personal meaning yeah. in life? That's what we discuss. And, you asked about where it comes from, and there are so many approaches here. And I, for me, all of them are valid. Each of us, you know, we have our intuitive relationship with where meaning comes from. Yeah. So we can talk about meaning on a psychological level, right? This is more of the kind of personally constructed meaning. Yeah. Right? So this is kind of, I look back at my life and I look back at the building blocks mm. and I look back at what brought me here and... I construct something that feels meaningful to me and that also gives me purpose. And yeah. this is this is interesting to differentiate that meaning is the theoretical concept we have while purpose is the way we apply it. Okay. okay. So purpose is the yeah. way we give life mm -hmm. to our meaning. Yeah, so purpose is like the external solution to meaning. So meaning is the inspirational piece, the internal digesting yeah. of something. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, as you say, you talk about external, I would say this is when, yeah, when that internal realization is meeting reality. How do I yeah. manifest it? There it is. Right? Uh -huh. Cool. So that psychological meaning is something I construct. And then there's another very interesting invitation into meaning for me, which is the question around spiritual meaning. 
Yeah. Right. And again, there's so many approaches here. I mean, one approach that I personally really empathize with is the question of the soul. And again, this is very personal because for some people, reincarnation is something they feel very comfortable with and they do believe that, you know, they, this is not their first visit upon earth and being alive and others feel yeah. that's not relevant for them. And both mm -hmm. options are great. But if you do feel that your soul is something that is moving through a journey and that the current life is just one amongst a number of, of different lives, then spiritual meaning for me is about why has my soul chosen to come here to this particular life with these particular individuals I'm surrounded by, yeah, with this particular body, mm -hmm. with those gifts and challenges that mm -hmm. I experience, right? Yeah, And then there's this deeply embedded meaning, spiritual meaning. Think about it like an undercurrent river that is constantly flowing yeah. just under our lives. Mm -hmm. And if we are sensitive enough to the flow of that water, mm -hmm. we get a lot of meaningful insights to do with what is the right choice for me. Yeah. Right? If I'm in relationship with that river, then when people offer me options or when I get a job proposal or when there's potential for a relationship here, I tap into the water of that river and then I know deep within me, not on a cognitive rational level, but on a deeper level of knowledge, I know whether this is right because yeah. it corresponds or not with my <laughs> personal meaning. Awesome. Very cool. So we're on to the meaning of life. And how do you think someone finds the meaning of life? Because it's so uniquely oriented to different people. But is there like sort of techniques or anything in the transpersonal world that helps discover the underwater aquifers that exist in our lives or that energy? Because sometimes there's feelings of not being able to tap into the intuition or into the flow of life and or maybe you can tap into it, but you just don't know how to represent it into the world. You don't know how to manifest it as mm. we're saying. Yeah. So is there any sort of techniques to develop it and or manifest it in people's lives? Mm. Well, I'll start with I'll start with an image. I sometimes see people and I, I work with a lot of groups and clients and I see sometimes people who it's as if they walk into a dark room. It's completely dark. Mm -hmm. And they're given a bow and arrows. And they are being told, somewhere in this room, there's a target. Mm -hmm. And you need to hit the center of that target. Uh-oh. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that, right? And it's completely dark. So they start shooting arrows, right? In hope yeah. that one of those arrows would hit the center of that target. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And quite naturally, you know, almost all of those arrows would, would hit nothing and they would feel very frustrated. And I feel this is a nice analogy to the way a lot of people approach the whole question of meaning, yeah. right? They hope that by coincidence, by jumping into different options, one of them miraculously will be kind of, yes, this yeah, is right totally. for me, okay? Now, instead of shooting those arrows, what I feel the healthy approach would be is to drop the bow for a minute, and search around the room for the light switch. Yeah. Right. We turn, we turn <laughs> like, on the wait light. Wait a minute. Yeah, just a second. I need to see. I mm -hmm. need to see, right? Not just on a visual level, but on a yeah. much deeper level. I need to see in order to make choices. Yeah. Right? Most of us throughout life 
make choices in the dark. Yeah. Deep within ignorance. Not ignorance of knowledge, but ignorance of ourselves. Mm. So turning on the light would mean, and here we go back to your question, means self-investigation, self-knowledge, right? So there is no way for us to come in touch with our personal meaning and live our personal meaning if we don't know ourselves. Yeah. Right. In a way, it takes me back to the way we started the conversation. We started with that relationship between psychology and spirituality. I always think about them as as holding hands because spirituality is usually thought, I mean, there's so many definitions to it, so many ways to approach and think about it, and all of them are legitimate. But the way it's usually referred to in the literature and in the practice as well is something around self-transcendence. Yeah. Right? So spirituality is that invitation to move beyond the personal self. Psychology, on the other hand, is almost the opposite. It's the invitation to move into that personal self, to get to know better, you know, the the cognitive processing of that personal self, the ego components, the bits and pieces that makes me Itai, (laughs) right? Like a mosaic and the different stones come together. And then I ask, you know, in my work, what I ask is, how can we transcend that which we don't know? Right? How yeah. can we transcend that which we don't know? And yeah. that's why psychology and spirituality are almost needed for each other. Right? Yeah. Through my psychological journey, I get to know myself so that I could let go of myself within my spiritual journey. Yeah. Right? Very good. Yeah. Yeah. There is a component of self investigation in both of these things. And yeah. while you're marrying them, you're just marrying the fact that you are willing to self investigate the whole time. Yes. And also, what I've realized about meaning and journeys and self exploration is that sometimes you'll explore something that necessarily isn't your highest purpose or goal or direction you ultimately think you need to go into but then after the fact you realize that was a good direction to go in because it informs the ultimate meaning of where you want to go so sometimes you do need to try some things out that aren't necessarily like oh this isn't my meaning but this does feel good and i am going to follow it i'm going to follow my passion so sometimes it is okay to investigate in certain areas that you may not assume they are Mm the meaning or the purpose but they do inform the purpose yeah yeah and yet what we need to remember is that there are different routes to that investigation Mm -hmm. so for many of us those kind of branching out and exploring it's done out of fear it's done out of confusion yeah right it's done out of disconnection disengagement with ourselves that will probably lead us into an exploration that wouldn't be very relevant to the authentic yeah. path mm-hmm. we are here for. Compared with an experience where I am rooted within myself, and in a way I'm answering your former question about like how yeah. do we actually do that. When I am rooted within myself, then I don't even think about it as I have to follow my ultimate path. I just think about it as I recognize that each and every moment what is carrying the deepest invitation into whatever is meaningful to me. Mm. I know how to make those choices, right? I can see them, I can feel them, I can smell them, I can taste them. They are kind of bubbling within me and then I can can move ahead (laughs) with those choices. So on a very practical level, what it means is 
we need to come in touch with ourselves. Yeah, we need to spend yeah, yeah. time uh, meditating. We need to spend time in therapy. We need to spend time dancing, uh, reconnecting with our bodies. We need to spend time reading uh, things that blow our minds on a very literal way, like <laughs> it would allow my mind to open up. So the list is endless, right? Anything mm-hmm. you feel that would take you beyond the boundary of what you define as yourself is the right path towards deepening your relationship yeah. with meaning. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, finding the path. And they're all unique. Everyone's going to have a different path, but oh, some yeah. them, they collide together. Of course. Yeah, I think of it like when people collide together as friendships, lovers, relationships, family members. I think of it like a celestial orbit, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes you have friends and family that just kind of jettison out of your orbit. Sometimes you have friends that are just so just circling you really outside, but they're like in your gravitational pull and then they're just there long term. So I love... I love this idea of like discovering the journey and then seeing yeah. what works for you. Yeah. And by the way, just an important piece here that this is why the practice of mindfulness is so meaningful here. Yeah. Because through the practice of mindfulness, you are constantly aware of that movement you were talking about. Yeah. Things coming in, things leaving. And then instead of being attached to certain things and expecting them to be in a certain way and therefore not allowing that flow to happen. Yeah you let it happen because you can feel that this is right. It might be painful, right? Just to clarify, we're not talking about I always feel good. Yeah. We're just talking about this is right. Yeah. I've realized sometimes when you're dealing with painful situations that you have to let go of, but you know they're the best decision. It's an investment. Mm-hmm. It's an investment for the long term. It's an investment to your soul. It's an investment to, if you're dealing with other people, it's an investment to the other person as well. True. Because sometimes it's hard, but it's a lot harder to be untruthful to yourself and to others. Mm-hmm. So what are we investing is how I like to look at it. Yes. <laughs> how do we sustain, replenish, nurture our investigation, our meaning, because I've noticed when I was young 20s, I was so energetic about so many things and I just like did it so hard and near. Yeah. I noticed that energy went away. Yeah, It wasn't there anymore. And, <laughs> and now I'm rediscovering it. But I'm curious. I actually thought it was going to be there forever. I was like, right. oh my gosh, I tapped into something. Here it is forever. Yes. And it wanes, it oscillates within our lives. How can we sustain it and or recognize when it's here and not here? Yeah, I would say instead of thinking about it as, as here or not here, I would say recognize how it's shape-shifting throughout ah, life. Okay. Right? We, we sometimes think about meaning as a rock. I found a rock. Yeah. put it here and it will <laughs> sit here <laughs> till the end of time, right? Yeah. And then a lot of clients I work with are clients who found that piece, right? Mm. And then a year, five years, 20, 40 years later, the rock has crumbled. It is now dust. Yeah. And they sit there shocked by the fact that, oh my God, wait a second, nothing's here and it used to be so full. Mm. So... How do we work with that, right? And again, I go back to the same point we've made earlier about self-awareness and connection with the self because you see, life is constant movement. Mm -hmm. We are constant movement. Life is changed. We are changed. Meaning is constant movement and constant change. Yes. As long as I'm in relationship with myself, as long as I'm connected with that, then that flow doesn't throw me 
out of balance. It doesn't disturb me because I can see as it happens. It's not a kind of, I look back, where did it come from? Like, as if something hit me. Midlife crisis is the classic example, right? Yeah. Why, why do a lot of people go through midlife crisis? Because they started with something and then a lot of things have changed and mm. they weren't connected to the transformation as it took place and it created a gap between what they carry inside and how their life actually look like. Yeah. And that gap is so frustrating and so confusing that we go through midlife crisis, you know, when we buy a car and a new house to make it a little bit better. Yeah. If instead I am fully aware of myself throughout my 20s, 30s, 40s, I will not experience a midlife crisis, yeah. right? Because there is no gap. I'm there present <laughs> with the process of change. Yeah. Wow, I think that's a really insightful thing to think about is the fact that everything is shifting. The rock that we found when we're young 20s or teenagers or whatever, the meaningful rock, it's not going to be the same rock that we find when we're midlife or the same rock when we're later in our life. No. The, we're gonna, there's a lot of rocks out yeah, there. A lot of rocks out there. <laughs> and can we love all our rocks equally? Can we yes. embrace all our rocks equally? Even when some, some of them land on our feet and break <laughs> our toes, right? How, how do, what kind of relationship do we have with those rocks? This is huge. Yeah, and, the re and also the relationship will also shift as well. So we're yes. going to be having many rocks. And the thing is you need to find those little nectar rocks to go to the next one sure. and so they all inform each other yeah. and that's why the shifting yeah. but realizing the shift is real yeah yeah i love that yeah you talked about kind of the sustaining rocks that maybe i'll just briefly offer an overview of the way i think about meaning meaning is working on three parallel levels past meaning present meaning and future meaning past meaning refers to my life story yeah. Right. So the building blocks, the rocks that I jumped through from rock to rock and, and created this thing that I call my life. It's the narrative of my own life, yeah. right? That's something we usually meet in therapy, right? I would go into therapy and I would come, a lot of those pieces to do with my meaning in the past are hidden, blocked, mm. because there's stuff yeah. surrounding them, right? And we need to unpack them so that the narrative is as rich and as accepting as possible because a lot of those pieces are at the moment in the shadow of my psyche, yeah. right? I want to bring them into the light. Yeah. So that's my past-oriented meaning. And it has a lot of impact on the way I think about my own meaning and why am I here in life and so on and so forth. Present-oriented meaning is the skill of going through everyday life activities and moments and experiences and seeing the beauty in each and every one of them, mm -hmm. right? And I know it's really difficult. It's very difficult when we go, when we rush through life. It's very difficult to see the sacred in the mundane. Yeah. But present-oriented meaning is inviting us to do that. So, you know, I, for example, I would work with groups and I would ask, you know, we would go outside and we'd do some beautiful walking meditation in nature. And then I would ask them to take out, a, either we have cameras or even with a mobile phone, and ask them to spend 10 minutes walking around and being very present, taking a picture. Then we come back to the room and we share what is the meaning of the picture mm -hmm. for each person. And the stories are so powerful and so beautiful with the most simple and mundane, you know, they took a picture of a leaf or they took a picture of a bird flying or whatever. And it's so yeah. powerful. So that's <laughs> right. And that's present oriented meaning. And then future oriented meaning is that piece around purpose we talked about. So I look, I have this life narrative to do with my past. I have this 
deep connection with the present mm-hmm. and my meaning in the present? And then what kind of a, a future-oriented meaning do I create here, right? And here I'd like to say something really important around goals. Okay. Because usually we create goals in an attached manner. So I have a goal and then I'm invested in that goal and then my psyche is invested in that goal. And then if it happens, that's wonderful. But if it doesn't happen, then something inside of me is crashing down because I am attached to it. And if Mm -hmm. it's falling, I'm falling, right? Yeah. Can we create the kind of future-oriented meaning that incorporates those goals because goals are beautiful. I yeah. love looking into my future and have dreams and a vision, right? Yeah. But I'm not attached to it at all. Yeah. That is the difficult piece. Yeah. Here. Having goals, but understanding that attachment doesn't need to be with the goal. Yeah. Beyond understanding, mm. experiencing that I am not holding on to that goal, right? Yeah. It's a goal and it's floating there. And in a way, it goes back to what you said earlier about the fact that we might have an idea of what is the meaning and where are we heading, right? And then something would happen and it shape shifted. Yeah. And something completely transformed, right? Do I have the capacity to say yes at that moment of invitation? Yeah. Are you invested in a goal that you thought you were attached to, you know? So your attachments get questioned. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then you have a decision-making process to go through and, yeah. and actually realize what is meaningful to you. Yes. What, you get to redefine what is your meaning all uh, of a sudden. So Absolutely. <laughs> That's in many ways a lot of our challenges in life yeah. are about that, right? Uh. Through our choices, <laughs> through that kind of meeting you talked about, yeah. I shape myself. Mm. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all this. So we have a couple minutes left. You know, I got to do the Naropa question and just ask, mm-hmm. what is it like teaching at Naropa in a contemplative model? You came here from England? University is London in, in London, yes. Okay. So you came here and now you're in Boulder, Colorado right, yeah. in the United <laughs> States. What is it like working with the students, being in the grad program and, and kind of teaching this contemplative model, teaching in the transpersonal mindfulness-based yeah. counseling? I've been teaching spirituality for many, many years. And yet, very frequently, I used to teach it from the back door. It's like I would integrate it into classes and into sessions, mm-hmm. but it wasn't full on. It wasn't their center point. It wasn't at the forefront of the, of the teaching process because a lot of organizations and a lot of institutions, especially in the academia, are not comfortable with spirituality. They're not comfortable yeah. with the transpersonal either, right? So if you ask me to share in a single word how do I feel coming into Naropa? I would <laughs> I would use the word liberated. Right? Hey. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So just the freedom mm. to talk about anything and everything within the psycho-spiritual journey. Yeah. And feel that the students are not just okay with it or accepting it. They are celebrating it. Yeah. That's for me oh. a huge gift. I was going to say, the fact that you're feeling liberated, how does that affect the quality of your teaching and also the experience of the students? Because yeah. obviously you're going to be like a little, your heart's going to be shining a bit more. Yeah. You ain't going to be doing this backdoor teachings per se. You're yeah. going to, the door's going to be open. Yeah. The window's going to be open. And so are the minds and the hearts. It creates this incredible gestalt uh, relationship where <laughs> I flourish and the students flourish and we grow together and we enjoy this together. And it's just a beautiful experience. 
Yeah, and I was going to say, like, you're probably learning too in this whole process. Of course, yeah. of course. I, I don't know a single human being who's not learning at any point in time. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that we usually think about if you're either a professor or a CEO or whatever, mm-hmm. wherever you are in, the, yeah. in, this, in this experience of life, we all came here to learn, period. Yeah. All human beings came here to learn, yeah. right? We grow in different ways and that learning experience could be done through teaching it could be done through our relationship with teaching there's so many questions i still ask myself after more than 20 years of teaching like how do i approach this what's the right how do i most authentically bring myself to the teaching experience that's why i love teaching so much because i get to meet myself yeah interesting I'm noticing through my podcast journey of speaking with a bunch of faculty members here at Naropa, the fact that everyone says the same thing, Mm -hmm. that they're learning just as much as the students are learning. So it has this sort of synergy of like a charged classroom where it's just very free flowing and the information just comes out. And I just love hearing that story of everyone's just like in a room, just learning together. Yes. And this is the educational journey. Yes. Wow. I love your energy. I love your stories. I love your knowledge. I love the information that you have, the idea of mixing the psychology and the spiritual together and just marrying them together. You're just so passionate and so loving of this topic. And it was just such an honor to speak with you today. So thank you so much. Thank you, David. It was really, really great being here. So that was Itai Evesan on the podcast. I'd really like to thank him again. He is an associate professor teaching in the Mindfulness-Based Transpersonal Counseling Program. So thanks again. That was a high five. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.